Cool. So in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Radio Flash, Armada's dedicated podcast covering defence, security and the electromagnetic spectrum with your host Tom Withington at the controls. As this podcast was being recorded, Russia's occupation in Ukraine was over one and a half years old. The conflict has seen the shattering of some military aphorisms and the affirmation of others. One of these is that the road to victory is harder for the side which does not win and sustain air supremacy. To date, neither the Russian nor Ukrainian military has established air superiority, the essential prerequisite before establishing air supremacy. There are subtle yet important differences between these conditions. Air superiority tends to mean one side largely prevents the other from using air power, whereas air supremacy means that opposing air power is essentially all but nullified. Suppression of enemy air defences forms a key part of what NATO calls the Offensive Counter-Air Mission, or OCA, and in turn OCA is the tactical embodiment of the quest for air superiority and supremacy. Both sides have performed energetic OCA efforts in the Ukraine war, but air superiority continues to be elusive. So to help make sense of this situation, I'm delighted to be joined by Colonel Jeffrey H. Fisher, a European global security expert, Ukraine watcher, author of the Kurt Nova series of thrillers, and a very good friend of the Armada Radio Flash podcast. Jeff goes by the call sign of Fish, and he was actually guest on our podcast back in August 2022, when we discussed Russia's evolving electronic warfare tactics in Ukraine. And once again, he joins us from Austria. Fish, great to have you back, man. Welcome to the podcast. Tom, it's always a pleasure to be with you, man. Thanks for inviting me. Let's start with the big question. Why has neither side managed to win air superiority, do you think? Yeah, so I think there's a couple there's a couple reasons for that, right? I think the first is that there was always a, a perception that the S-300s and the S-400s were over-dominating, if you will, in the airspace. In other words, if you fly in one of these threat rings and you fly in that ground-based air defense threat, which is a radar-guided SAM, that you're going to die. And, uh, you know, and, and so very few were willing to test the capabilities of the S-300 and the S-400. For, for many months, perhaps even over a year, those things reigned supreme, and, and each side would do these low-level tactics. And I'm sure all of your listeners have seen the videos right on YouTube, so whether it's a helicopter or an S-2, Su-25 Frogfoot, they're flying in at you know 200 feet, and they're doing this pop-up maneuver, 30 degrees nose up. They launch a bunch of rockets, they shoot out a bunch of flares, and then they get down back under the, the line of sight of the radar guided SAM as quick as possible to kind of you know save their tail and, and and run so they don't get shot. And 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 that lasted. I mean that that that's not air superiority. You and I both know that, right? That that's that's being able to leverage part of the air domain for a very short specific mission. And and by the way. Your weapon systems are not accurate, right? You're, you're not launching precision guided munitions, and and we see that from the topography of, of the, a lot of the overheads that we see. And I mean, it looks much like you have trench warfare. It looks like you know artillery misses all over the place, and pockmarks uh, land land war like uh, like Verdun, if you will, World War One. So so that's the first part of it. I think the second part is I, I think we look we we the, the electromagnetic spectrum is is caused 
a lot of problems. I just mentioned the lack of air, uh, the lack of precision guided munitions. Well, if you take away GPS and 95% of the munitions you intended to use were, were JDAM or, or GPS, GPS guided munitions, you, you've, you've lost the battle, Jack, right? That, as soon as that bomb falls off, if it loses its GPS signal, it's going to do its best right to try and find the target but it's lost its guidance system and that and that you know and and these bombs weren't necessarily intended to include you know some kind of rudimentary inertial navigation system that you know that could do course correction should it lose gps there's just not enough time from the from when the bombs released to the time that the bomb hits the target there's there's not engineering there it's interesting what you mentioned about this low-level zone of vulnerability with the double-digit SAM systems that Russia's deployed, because conventional Russian doctrine, we were always led to believe that within that doctrine, it would be Panzer that would take care of that sort of low-level zone of death, if you like, that these um, Shorad systems would ring fence the S-400s and they just fire a load of bad stuff into the air and anybody who's unfortunate enough to be going in low level would be splashed by a Panzer. But that hasn't seemed to happen, to my knowledge. Maybe it has, but it's interesting that that gap is exploitable. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I, uh, I, I'm following very closely the Ukrainian Air Force and I have some contacts in there. And, and you know, I, I know that there's now two Frogfoot pilots that have, have both flown their 300th sortie. So, you know, that this whole notion that the Ukrainian Air Force is done and it's not flying, that that's ridiculous. I mean, it is flying. It's it's not effective. It's it, we're, we're definitely not seeing Operation Allied Force where, where the coalition back over Serbia, you know, owned the airspace dominantly. But but, you know, some of the things that I think that are interesting, right, that where I where I see a shift, if you will, and I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic that that air superiority is going to be gained by Ukraine. It's going to be gained by one side or the other. But I, I, there was a there was a Ukrainian MiG-29 pilot whose call sign was Juice, and and actually he and I were friends and were communicating. Uh, sadly, Juice uh, was killed in a uh, in an air incident, actually an air training incident, about a, a month and a half ago. And now I'm still in communications with his girlfriend, who's you know communicating with a lot of the MiG-29 pilots through his friend. And she posted something really interesting. We talked about it. So Ukraine is claiming that it has destroyed three S-400s <laughs> in, in the matter of the last month or two months, which is phenomenal, right, the, the whole systems. And the way that they're doing it is they're actually – they're using quad – little more than quadcopters, duct tape, and some, some old grenades, right? In, in other words, they're flying way slower than the Doppler notch that the S-400 was ever designed to be able to, uh, to prosecute and, and shoot at. And they're flying over these things, they're hovering, and they're killing them. And now you're starting to see that that air domain open up, right? We're starting to see some air-to-air engagements. Uh, sadly for the Russians, if you're if you're a Russian advocate, Russia's literally just shot down two of their fourth-plus or fifth-generation fighters in the last week. I would argue, and I would attribute that, you know, when it, when when we find out what's going on, part of that's going to be a lack of of an ability to use. The electromagnetic spectrum correctly right if you're if your iff systems are not working appropriately and you prosecute a radar target and it doesn't respond to you correctly and it's beyond line of sight you're going to shoot it down because you presume it's a bad guy right yeah so, so so if their iff systems which are you know based on the rf energy and they're in the electromagnetic spectrum if they're not working appropriately you're you're going to have more fratricides like this and that's those are expensive jets, right? I mean, these are the newest fighters that Russia has. 
both you and I have spoken in the past about this, and it, it's kind of axiomatic, I guess, the, the synergy that EW has with CAD. It's very much part and parcel of it. Uh, you, you mentioned about the, that sort of very interesting use of the uh, the drones with you know quite a basic response to a threat like an S-400, but nevertheless quite an effective one. What else do you think needs to happen within the spectrum? What else does Ukraine need to be doing to help it win this OCA battle? What, what that's going to look like, I don't know. Uh, there, you know, when we talk about GPS, I think sometimes people who don't understand the concept, right, that is the satellite-based construct, just, just believe that, you know, magically these little boxes tell us where they're at. But the truth of the matter is that if it's just a concept of time, you know, time and direction of arrival, uh, and you can start using other transmitters out there, you know, cellular towers and, and, and things like this that we know where their locations are. They're not, you know, hundreds of miles up in space. Mm. They're far closer. Uh, you can actually start creating, you know, I, I want to say, you know, rudimentary GPS systems based on other signals that are in the environment. And, and I think that that would be a if this war goes on long enough that would be a wonderful way to try and regain some level of precision in the battle space i also think that you know communication systems are going to become are going to become vital and they're going to get jammed worse and worse and they're going to have to find a way to actually maneuver in the battle space with limited comms or find a new way to communicate i think when the f-16s do arrive uh it will be interesting and i, I I've, I've heard both sides so i i i, I I'm hesitant to, to comment, but if the F-16 show up with Link 16, right, with this this air data link that, that helps them and helps uh, Ukrainian pilots find, fix, and finish targets without using their own radar, uh, this, this is going to be a massive, massive benefit and, and a, a huge success story for the electromagnetic spectrum use in the, in the war for Ukraine. It will be interesting, won't it, if that happens? Because in in many ways, okay, it's an updated um, use of Link 16 as a sense. But if you trace your mind back to the 70s, 80s, when Link 16 starts to come in, I mean, in many senses, this is exactly the kind of battle that Data Link was designed for against dense Soviet, as it was in those days, but now Russian deployments of network SAM systems. There's already systems in place on the ground in Ukraine that are Link 16 capable, right? You can get a Patriot missile battery system that actually can feed into the link, right? So really all you need is an air battle manager, a guy who knows how to to manage and, and direct. I mean, that that's an AFSC in the United States Air Force, right? So you've got the air battle manager uh, who, who flies on AWACS. Um, you add him to the mix along with, you know, the Western radars like the Patriot radar. It's on the ground. Now you've got if the F, if the F-16 is Link 16 capable, you, you've got all the pieces of the puzzle. You, you've got a guy who, you know, can can direct the F-16 into a, into a advantageous position of engagement with his radar off, put him in the right place at the right time against the Russian aviator. Uh, and then, you know, by the time that the F-16 guy now turns on his radar, he knows exactly where he's expecting to see the target. He can hand it off to his AMRAM and it, that that whole kill chain is really, really short. And it puts a lot of pressure on the, the Russian pilot to be able to react and, and regain some level of an advantage in the in the air fight. So I'm wondering from your perspective, I mean, you've, you've mentioned Link 16, which obviously would mean things like MIDS terminals, that kind of stuff. But what other assistance and material do you feel that Ukraine needs from her supporters to help her prevail in this OCA battle? 
Yeah, so I, I'm, I'll open up the aperture of your question a little bit, right? And I would argue that you know I, I'm in the I'm in the camp with General Breedlove and with with the um, you know, with General Ben Hodges, um, both guys who were, you know, commanders in the European theater uh, from 24 after 2014 in this this whole Russian invasion construct from Crimea, Luhansk and Donetsk. And, 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 and they're screaming, right? They're screaming for ATACMs. And, and that's that's the key thing, right? Ukraine needs long range ground to ground precision fires. It, it needs to have a longer reach than than than, than the Russians do. And right now it, 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 it has storm shadow, which is great, but it, do, it doesn't have enough. I know it wants more, and, and to be fair, look, I've been to conflict seven times, right? And I, I have, even when I was a commander in conflict, I never met the, the subordinate unit commander that came to me and said, hey, boss, I have enough stuff to go prosecute the war, right? Every commander wants more bullets. Every commander wants more food. Every commander wants more guns, and he wants more dudes. I, and I get that, right? I, I, but really, more storm shadows or more long-range fires is, is really, really the, the crux of the issue. I, I just actually spoke to General Breedlove last Last night or two nights ago, because he's writing the foreword for my fourth book uh, that's coming out in the Curtain Over Thriller series, Russian Puppeteer. It'll be out on Veterans Day, which is the 10th of November. Uh, and, and we were actually talking about this issue, right? And, and he's, he's hell-bent, right? He's, he's, he's happy that the Biden administration is, is supporting Ukraine, right? I mean, there's, there are questions in the United States that some people think that that's not the right thing to do. Uh, but where his frustration lies is actually the level of frustra- the, the level of support, right? And, and this this drips and drabs and, and the the inability to actually, you know, give Ukraine the tools it needs uh, immediately to to win this war is is frustrating from from his perspective. And I think a lot mine too as well. A lot of, a lot of other people. The, the other thing that I wanted just to pick up on that you mentioned just now, you mentioned Attackums, for instance, is that the importance of the force beyond the Air Force in the OCA battle. I mean, particularly using things like artillery to um, neutralize and destroy Russian SAM units and the importance of having a sort of all arms battle, if you like, or all, all arms approach to the OCA battle, I suppose, to try and get it concluded as, as rapidly as possible. When you look at a, the traditional construct of, of gaining air superiority, right, the, the first step is you're going to send in your, your wild weasels and your prowlers or your growlers and your compass call. And, your, and, and, and it's not necessarily to, to, to just dominate the electromagnetic spectrum, but what it is is actually to blind radars and deny communications for, for a short period of time because it, it doesn't last forever. And to roll back that air defense system, right? To go tar- the first set of targets are going to be those S three hundreds, S four hundreds, radar center, filter centers, um, uh, you know, and, and any kind of thing that helps the enemy build a coherent singular air picture. You're going to take that away, and once that's taken away, now you're going to go in for that air to air fight because you're you're giving your F fifteen Cs, you're giving your F twenty twos the opportunity to actually go fight in a in a air domain where the fight is really just in the air to air you've 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 mitigated perhaps neutralized we don't know right but you've mitigated anything from the air to the ground they don't have to worry about you know two chess pieces coming out they just have to worry about the one chess piece right uh and then once the the uh you know oca or the 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 uh, the, the air domain or air superiority is gained you, you don't want to give it up right yeah, so you, you rely on intelligence because the enemy is going to try and rebuild and reconstitute their ground-based air defenses. They're going to try and send waves of fighters at you. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do. Arguably, I, I again would argue that Ukraine nor Russia really had the pieces in place for something of that magnitude at the beginning of the war. Maybe Russia could have done it, but 
Russia took a calculated risk and they they believed that they would be in Kiev in three days just by ground power. And, and that obviously didn't turn out. Uh, they lost a, a boatload of military capacity and have, have kind of been on the reeling from that ever since. Fish, we started with a big question. So um, I always like to finish with a big question as well. Let's suppose that Ukraine does win the OCA battle, whatever form that takes, but but she does prevail and she sustains the air supremacy or at least the air superiority that we've been talking about. What do you feel would be the immediate and longer term consequences of that on the overall conflict and particularly the conflict on the ground? If I was king for a day or I was the minister of defense in, in Ukraine and I was you know building the strategy what to do, I... If as soon as I knew I had air superiority, the first thing I would do is, is I would concentrate my air superiority over a given piece of, of the forward edge of battle area where I knew that my ground forces were going to make a push, right? I, where where that they were going to try and break through a, a, a large layer of, of mines that have been laid in, you know, defense in depth. Russia's really good at defense. I give it to them, right? I might not I might not like the Russian military, but they're really good at defense, right? And that 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 count that that offensive counter air along with close air support is going to do everything it can to help my ground forces clear those mines and build a wide enough path. I mean, if you think of it like American football, right? Uh, you know, to to break a hole to get my running back through and basically continually keep the Russian military out of that area, so my ground forces can a do the job to clear the mines, then b get through that that punch through that hole, and then. Once they're through, right, then it's then it's game on, right? They're just going to keep moving. And don't forget, everybody, if you'd like to learn more about Fish's work, including his three novels and a forthcoming novel, you can head over to his webpage at, at Jeffrey H. Fisher. That's uh, F-I-S-C-H-E-R dot com. Uh, but in the meantime, that's all we've got time for. Um, but don't forget, you can find more news and analysis on military and defense and security uses of the electromagnetic spectrum, everything from electronic warfare to radar to military communications and everything in between at www.armadainternational.com. But in the meantime, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for listening.